I'm Anne, co-host of Transparency in Teaching, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Eileen J. Donovan, the author of A Lady Newspaperman's Dilemma. Great read, great conversation. You are going to love this talk. Thanks for listening. And by the way, it'd be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and left a review. Could you do that for me? Hey, you know, the other thing that'd be awesome is if you uh, shared the podcast with a friend, a, a neighbor, a colleague, a, a relative and said, hey, do you listen to Teaching Learning Leading K-12? Hmm? You should. That would be so cool. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for listening and uh, enjoy the show. It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show. With lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Stimuletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Although born in New York City, where she spent most of her life, she has lived in six states and has visited most of the others. She earned her M.A. in English at Northern Arizona University. In one way or another, she has been writing her entire life, whether it was imaginative stories for her friends or advertising copy for industrial clients. She never felt her stories were good enough to be published. At the persistent urging of her late husband, she finally agreed to seriously edit and revise one of them and take the plunge. Although accepted for publication, the book never made it all the way to print. However, she had the courage to pursue her dream of becoming a published author. Years later, her persistence paid off. Her traditionally published debut historical novel, Promises, won the 2019 Marie M. Irvin Award for Literary Excellence. Her historical fiction, A Lady Newspaperman's Dilemma, presently with Woodhall Press and was just released in just just right now, it's October and it was released in September of 2022, won the 2021 When Words Count nationwide competition. She's also had short stories published in various anthologies. Her nonfiction essay appeared in the 2021 Chicken Soup for the Soul, Blessing of Christmas. She lives in Manhattan, New York, and is a member of Authors Guild, SCBWI, Women's National Book Association, and the Historical Novel Society. Today, we'll be focused on writing and her recently released book, A Lady Newspaperman's Dilemma. Eileen, thanks for joining me today. Great to have you on the show, and say hi to everyone. Oh, well, Steve, thank you for inviting me, and hello to everyone out there. Well, I'm glad that you're here, and uh, I got to ask you this. I read your bio, and uh, you know, I said that you spent most of your, you've spent almost your entire life in New York, visited a lot, a lot of different states, if not all of them, and uh, somehow though, you ended up getting your MA in Northern Arizona University. So, how'd you do that? Well, actually, I was living in Arizona at the time. Um, I was teaching on the uh, Navajo Indian Reservation. And I was teaching in the high school there and, the, and one of their colleges. There are actually two colleges on the reservation, which most people don't know. Uh, um, I had started my master's in New York at SUNY State University. And then when I got the job in Arizona, I decided to continue my master's. And the closest university was uh, Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, which was about roughly an hour and a half, two hours drive each way. So um, it was a bit of a challenge. Uh, I, I did a lot of online classes because amazingly enough, NAU 
even then hosted <laughs> online classes. And uh, in the summers, I would drive and take as many classes as I could back and forth from the university to the reservation. It's my home. That's cool. So, so did being out there and teaching on the reservation and uh, doing your MA in Arizona, did any of that influence uh, your, your writing beyond uh, the degree? I don't think so. Um, I haven't written anything about Arizona or about um, my time on the reservation. So I don't see how it did. But of course, everything influences your writing. You, you can't escape that. People say, oh, it's not biographical. Everything is biographical. <laughs> nice. There's always little bits of you that sneak into everything you write. I like that. That's good. That's a, I had to ask. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know. You know. Maybe you got another book coming out of you soon that's going to say, uh, uh, maybe I will. Well, <laughs> I do. You bring that up. Thank you very much. Um, uh, there's another book being published in March. Congrats. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, called The Campbell Sisters. And that, but that takes place in New York City in the 1950s. Very cool. Very cool. So we'll, we'll have to hear a little synopsis more, if you don't mind, uh, towards the end there. So we remind everybody about it. And, uh, sure. and uh, if you like it, it'd be awesome to have you back on the show when that thing's ready. Oh, that ready would be go. great. I'd love that. Very cool. Um, the, uh, so uh, uh, let's talk about A Lady Newspaperman's Dilemma. It's historical fiction. It just came out. And uh, could you talk about what type of research you did to make the story and characters feel like they were real? This is a very roundabout situation, how I, I finally got to the, the final version of this book, um, a friend of mine sent me a, a clipping, I don't even know where she found it, about the one and only time the United States Army bombed a United States city. And that was completely intriguing as far as I was concerned. So it, this happened, it actually happened, the real event actually happened in 1940. So I, I started researching it, of course. And you, you know, you just, you read dozens of books and you, you get on the internet and you, you print out every article that there is about this possibility. And then you start looking at the time period and you do all that research that you have to do. And then you start writing. Oh, that's the way I work anyway. Um, so I write the whole thing, right? Right. Whole deal. I have a friend who's an agent, not my agent. I don't have an agent. Uh, and, and she says to me, I like the story, but the, the market is so inundated with World War II stories that I'm afraid you're just going to be one of thousands. I said, but it's not World War II. It's, it happened in 1940, yes, during the war, but it's not about World War II. She said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So I said, okay, what do you suggest? She says, I suggest you put it in the 1920s. Oh, wonderful. So that meant throw away the whole manuscript, right. <laughs> redo the whole thing, start my research all over again to research the people, the places, the, the, uh, the fashions, the, the language, read books that were written in the 1920s to get a feel for what was contemporary then and do all that and then rewrite my book. Nice. Nice. Just a little bit of uh, extra work there, right? <laughs> just, just a tiny, tiny bit. <laughs> Very cool. Well, that, well, that had to be... Just as a note, that really had to kind of be fascinating to shift the focus of it to the 20s because you have a different, you know, kind of, that's people from the era would slap me right now, I think. Uh, you, you know, you have a different uh, vibe going on and so forth and uh, and what you focus on as well. And so before we go any further, can you just give a little a brief synops uh, synopsis to everyone so that they get an idea of what we're talking about and then we'll go from there? 
Sure. Um, the story is about Alex, who's a young girl who grew up in a really, really rural community in Montana, eastern Montana. And she she wants to be a newspaper reporter for a big town, big city paper. So she gets a job in a city that's a little bit bigger than where she grew up, but still pretty much a small town in Montana working for the paper. And she gets assigned to the usual things that a cub reporter gets assigned to, the community news, the, the social events. She's very unhappy because she knows she's never going to get national attention by writing about bake sales and, and community dances and things like that. So uh, on, on her very first day, she uh, winds up involved in a courthouse shooting. The lead reporter gets shot. She's in the hospital. She doesn't die, but she's in the hospital. And Alex, because this is a, this is also a very tiny newspaper, is forced to take over as job uh, as the lead reporter. As a result, she winds up in all kinds of situations. Um, eventually, catches the attention of uh, some national coverage and uh, makes away from there. Excellent. So, uh, very cool. So, this is the this is the story that we're talking about. And you, and oh, and I forgot to include that in, in the meantime, there's two men pursuing her attention. Excellent, excellent. So, and it, and the era by shifting it from the four, you know, from 1940 to the 1920s. I mean, what did you have to contend with when you talked about um, the um, the lead character and what her role is and stuff like this? Was there anything there that you wanted to make sure that you you focused on? Well, yeah, one of the, the biggest things was, and, and I realized it was a really good shift for me, um, that in the 1920s, there were very, very, very few women reporters. Those that were in the business were not taken seriously, and they did do all the society columns and the community news, that kind of thing. There was one reporter in particular. In fact, it's in the, this book, The Manhattan Girls, that just came out from um, Gil Perry, I believe her name is. About Dorothy Parker and her three closest friends, and one of them is a reporter for the New York World. And the all the male reporters call her fluff because when she first started, she did society pages, and they called that fluff news. So they called her fluff. And even though she's now graduated to being an investigative reporter, it doesn't matter. They still call her fluff. So there was that whole atmosphere of um, not being accepted as a real reporter because she was a woman. And I realized this is better for for my character because if she were a reporter in the 1940s, there were probably lots of women reporters in the 40s because so many men had been sent off to war. Uh, That makes sense. (laughs) So I said, ah, so this is, you know, her standing out as an investigative reporter and being a woman would really be an anomaly. That's excellent. That's that's cool because that's like you know one of the things. Uh, um, just just a note. I um, my my grandmother um, was someone who was a little bit of a rabble rouser. Now I knew her as my grandmother, right? <laughs> and as I got older and started talking with her, and uh, you know, I, I was best buds with my grandfather and stuff like this. But uh, um, as I got to know her, um, and she she talk more with me because she was kind of like the, the keeper of the rules that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I discovered was that uh, she had really been a not keeper of the rules when, uh, you know, she was somewhere around the, the time frame that you're talking about in the late twenties and, the, you know, this, you know, we had flappers and so forth. And, and there were these pictures where she and a, a friend 
took this cross country hike from Chicago to uh, St. Louis, and they were wearing um, they look like World War One soldiers is what they look like. They had on boots with leggings and stuff like this. And it was funny her to talk about that because that's where I was going with this story is that when she kind of mentioned that, you know, that a lot of people frowned onto women hitchhiking and, uh, um, and also, uh, you know, just having this whole focus like that. So I could only imagine, uh, the, the environment in which it, it kind of gave me a lot of context so that when, when I was reading about your characters in the, in the, and, uh, what time frame we're in, I kind of instituted, put my grandmother in with your group. So, <laughs> But, yeah, and I, 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 and I like to write about strong women, women who, who break the norms, women who break the glass ceiling, let's say. Um, and, and that's kind of my MO here, you know. And so in the 1940s, that I don't think it would have been as much of an impression as it made in the 1920s. Gotcha. That makes, that makes perfect sense. Just a, just a note i got to ask you, did you, as you're researching this and you're looking into it, do you run into, like, trying to – to find uh, you know, the use of colloquialisms or the, the kind of the terminology, the, the, the slang that they, they use during the times. I mean, what type of stuff did you, I mean, do you run it? Are you specifically trying to run into that or uh, what do you think? No, I'm really not. Um, I did run into some of it and, and I thought about using some more of it, but I've read some books where they use lots and lots of the, the vernacular of that period and I find it, as a reader, I find it very distracting. Makes so sense. I rarely use it in my writing. That's gotcha. That's cool. That's I, that just kind of dawned on me. Is I, I am a huge fan of lots of music, but uh, but especially from the uh, late '30s into the into like the early '60s. But uh, uh, what I'm talking about is like. Uh, um, Everybody from Jimmy Dorsey to uh, um, just any number of the trumpet players from the era and so forth, and why I'm drawing um, Harry James. There we go. I was trying to pull a, one out of my hat, but uh, but so recently I got a collection of uh, the Andrews Sisters songs, and uh, I grew up with them in uh, um, as a fan of uh, Abbott and Costello because they appeared in a lot of their movies and stuff like this. And I never realized until just recently, as I'm listening to their songs, how much they're filled with lots of slang from the time frame. And uh, so that's what drew that question. I'm just happened to be uh, inundated lately with <laughs> lots of some of the stuff from the forties. Um, but anyway, I digress. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Uh, yeah. And, and I know that there's lots of slang I could have pulled up from the twenties, but I, I just, um, I don't know. I, I kind of bristle at using it. Oh, I understand because it, it distracts me as a reader when you're uh, when you're reading that stuff. If they use too much of it, then you start. Uh, sometimes I think that you you get caught up in trying to wonder what they're really talking about, <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> um, just following conversation. So I I'm I'm there with you, but uh, good stuff. I you know one of the things uh, um, I want to ask you is, and especially you kind of answered this just a little bit, um, you know. Talk for a minute about developing your story. I mean, did you write and then share with an editor or did you look at it al along the way or was there a specific other path that you took? I mean, can you talk about that just a little bit? Sure. Um, when I write, and I, you know, people call it writing process. I don't really think of it as a process, but that's okay. Um, I, I, write, I, don't, I don't plot anything. I don't do outlines. I don't 
do any of that stuff. So um, I'm, I'm what they call real pantser. So when I sit down to write, I think about usually I, um, I have some idea in my head, but it's as much an adventure for me as it is for the reader because I never know what my characters are going to do. And people find that hard to believe you're making them up. Of course, you know what they're going to do, but you really don't know what they're going to do when you're writing. So I sit down, I start to write and I write for as long as I want in the course of a day. And uh, usually that's, that's a chapter depending upon how I feel or how, how it's going. And then I type it, I write everything longhand and then I type it up the next, and then I let it just stay there. And then the next day, the next morning I read it, edit it, revise it a little bit, you know, tweak it, you know, take out things that sound really stupid or try to make them sound correct and fix all my typos. And, um, and then I start again. Then when, when I'm all done, with all of that, I read the whole manuscript because now I've, I, I've only read it in pieces. So now I have to read the whole thing, print it all out, read the whole thing, um, and start doing some serious revising and taking out all, a lot of the junk. Then I send it off to my beta readers, get their feedback. And meanwhile, I've gone through this with my critique groups. So that they've they've seen bits and pieces of it over the course of the months, and uh, and I've made adjustments or not. But um, so then I get all the feedback from my beta readers. I make adjustments according to to their input. Then um, I this one in particular I sent out to a developmental editor. Had them go through it, made more adjustments, and. Um, and then I entered that competition, the When Words Count competition, before I even started submitting to agents or um, publishers and was fortunate enough to win. And one of the, well, the prize, the main prize was um, a publishing contract. That's a nice prize. <laughs> it is a nice prize. It was a very nice prize. And I also won the services of a publicist for a while. So, um, so that has been very nice as well. That's excellent. So, uh, um, so do you use, uh, you know, when you, when you talk about getting the word out there, so you got a publicist and, uh, um, have you started developing? Cause I know you have, you have a website that gets into lots of the information we're going to talk in a minute about, I'm going to ask you about your newsletter in a minute and stuff like this. Have you found different ways that, that seem to work better than others of getting uh, people to the word out there to say, Hey, come read my book. Um, well, I, I've, talked a lot about it on Facebook and Instagram. And I know I just, I was participating in a, um, a webinar last night and there was people were saying Facebook doesn't work. So don't even bother. But I, I've gotten a lot of feedback from people on Facebook and they've said, you know, Oh, I bought your book or, uh, you know, Oh, I, I read your book. So, um, I don't know. Maybe it does work for some people. Maybe it doesn't work for others. I don't know. But um, yeah, and and I've just I've tried to um, to get the word out through other friends and and word of mouth. It, um, and of course, my publicist has been wonderful, and he's gotten me a whole bunch of interviews. This is one of them, which I appreciate. Um, and he's put me on some podcasts, and and so that's been extremely helpful. 
and we'll just see whether or not any of this converts to sales. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Yes. And I'm glad you're here. And I just, I thought it'd be interesting to know what you try and do and look at. And I, it's funny. You, I hear the same thing about Facebook. I hear people who say, don't waste your time. And I have others who say, what? <laughs> I that's I tell all the time on Facebook and you know that type of thing. So, well, good good luck with all that. We have uh, um, so with a lady newspapers, uh, a lady newspapers. Why do I struggle? This is everyone does. It's a <laughs> tough title. <laughs> a lady newspaperman's dilemma. There we go. Ta da! Um, so with with that storyline, are you going to bring any of those characters back, or are you like moving on? No, I'm moving on. I. When, with my first book, everyone said, so you're going to do a sequel, right? And I said, no. I told the story I wanted to tell, and that's it. I'm done. And with this one, people have said, so you're going to let us know? And I said, no, the story's done. I told the story that I wanted to tell, and it's done. And um, and some of my friends got a little angry with me about that. You know, they're like, well, you have to. You don't have to tell us what you can make up whatever you want from now on. You know, you can take those characters and dream about them and create your own fantasy as to where they went from there. But I'm done. Nice, nice. The uh, so I gotta I, I gotta go back to something that you said. So you write longhand. You don't use a keyboard or anything like that when you come up with the idea. I write longhand. Nice. So you. I I feel I'm more connected to my story and to the characters when I'm actually sitting and writing. Um, as opposed to using a machine. That's cool. That's a, so do you transcribe it or do you send it to somebody then they take your words? I transcribe it. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. That's cool. The, uh, um, you know, for, and I'm, I'm the world's worst typist. So this takes me forever. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the opposite. I, I you know, I type 4,000 words. Oh, a minute. Oh, <laughs> oh no, no, no. I mean, I, I could type really fast and then I couldn't, even figure out what what was on the page because there'll be so many wrong letters. But very cool. But, you know, so um, that's uh, uh, just uh, it, this is funny. So because uh, that's exact because I, what I thought you were going to say was that no, yeah, I, I just I take my writing and I put it down. I wouldn't trust it to anybody. But it's the, I, I think it's funny. So anyway, that's cool. Um, so do you have like a? I got to ask this because with writing, do you have like a place that you write, or do, does it matter where you? you are and you just find a place that you can it doesn't much matter to me um i usually just sit in in an armchair and write that's cool i love but it like during the when words count competition we were up in vermont there were five of us who were five finalists and <clears throat> excuse me um I would get up early in the morning and I would just go we were at a bed and breakfast i would get up early in the morning and go down to the living room and just sit there and write. And, and the, the owners of the bed and breakfast were absolutely wonderful people. Uh, she would make me a pot of tea every morning. And I'd sit there and sip my tea and write until people started to wander down for breakfast. That's cool. <laughs> that's that's neat. I So one of the things I got to ask you is that it's kind of been, because you know, your idea originally had to do with the 40s and this event that took place. And then the, the, um, publish, the publisher... Um, was saying that, well, that's nice, but uh, there's too much World War II, so let's move it, even though it's not World War II, let's move it back and uh, look at the 20s. Um, was there original inspiration? Because part of it was that that story, I thought, uh, that whole idea of the Army bombing a <laughs> American town. Um, 
was there anything else that kind of inspired you to keep, you know, whatever semblance of what you kept together going? I mean, you know, cause what I was going to ask you originally until you said that was, you know, what, what was that initial um, inspiration that said, I got to write this. So, so when you shifted it, what was that thing that made you say, I'm going to make sure this happens. I'm not exactly sure if I know what you mean. And it was an agent, not a publisher who, I'm who sorry, suggested agent. that I change. Um, what I mean is, what's that thing that said to you, this is the story I want to do and I'm going to write it and I'm going to make it happen so that you finish I, it. <laughs> I, I think it was just that the fact that I hear the U.S. Army bombed a U.S. city and nobody knows about this. <laughs> right. And it, I mean, the Army's not walking around saying, hey, you know, we bombed a, a U.S. city one time. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they don't really want that out. It was one really tiny article in Stars and Stripes about it. And it was more about the, um, the mechanics of the bombs they use and how they did it than the actual fact that they were bombing a U.S. citizen, a U.S. town. So they, they really, you can't find anything in the Army archives about this. Wow. So, so pretty much the article is just about uh, the technique um, and the exactly. devices. <laughs> nice. Yeah. nice. Um, never mind where it was. We just, this is what we were doing. <laughs> right. And, and of course, it, you know, they were great heroes because they saved the town. Nice. So, uh, yeah. That's excellent. Um, very cool. I, you know, um, Eileen, one of the things that uh, um, I got to ask you is, since you write, do you have a favorite writer or two? Oh, gosh, I have so many favorite writers. Um, as far as historical fiction goes, I absolutely love Kate Morton. I love Sarah Donati. Um, there, are, there are just so many. And uh, Mary, Mary Doria Russell, I, you know, um, there are just so many. And I like to read across genres, so I have, <laughs> I have different favorites all over the place. And I, I still love the classics. I mean, I still go back and I still read... Jane Austen, and I read Dickens, and I, I read, uh, um, name escapes me right now, the Sherlock Holmes Streets, and his name just totally went out of my head. Talking about Conan um, Doyle, Sir Conan Doyle? Yes, yes, yes. And I, I read Agatha Christie, and I, you know, um, that's the only thing I don't, I rarely read, unless it's highly, highly recommended to me, is science fiction. Gotcha. But I just uh, recently, a few months ago, I read two two books by T.J. Klune, Total Fantasy, which I don't read. But, oh, my God, I thought they were two of the best books I'd ever read in my life. Awesome. So he's become a new favorite of mine. But, uh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> I, could, every, I keep thinking that. I look around. I'm, I'm surrounded by bookcases right now. I want you to know. <laughs> so I look around. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't mention that one. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's cool. That's uh, especially that you have such a wide range of uh, uh, thoughts about uh, reading. <laughs> you don't read science fiction, but you just uh, read some pretty exciting uh, um, books there, which is uh, cool. So the f um, what but is I'm reading science fiction right now nice. because it was a highly recommended book, and it's it's actually a YA book, but um, it's highly recommended by a friend of mine. So I said I'll read it. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. So uh, what do you look for in a, in a story? So since you read a lot of different types of genres, what do you look for in a story? What is it that keeps your attention? It, 
as long as it's a really good story that just captures my imagination, makes me forget about where I am and captures my imagination. And I'm not somebody who focuses. A lot of people are like, oh, it's a good story, but there wasn't enough descriptive elements in it. Or it's a good story, but there wasn't enough dialogue. And I, I like a story with a lot of dialogue. I do, because I feel that that gives me more insight into the character than if the author takes 10 pages telling me about the character. <laughs> That's something that drives me nuts right there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think we've gone past the Dickens stage. You know, I, I still read him and I still love him, but um, we today, it would, I don't think he'd make it today. I, think I agree. I very much agree. It's like uh, um, one of the things that uh, when, a, when an author gets so into the detail of how something works, and, uh, and all I really want to know is that they have some device that gets them to wherever they go. <laughs> and it's like, just, right, just get right. me there. Yeah, I don't have to know how they built the spaceship to know that he went to space. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's my point. <laughs> um, one of, in the past, one of my favorite authors was someone who, uh, he wrote these, these thrillers, these uh, um, espionage thrillers and military thrillers and stuff like this. But you had to get through his d- massive descriptions of how equipment, what type of equipment they had and how it worked and kind of eventually <laughs> start going, ah, I think I'm going to move on. That's why I didn't mention his name. <laughs> yeah, it, it does wear you down. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I love some thrills. Like, I just finished the Tana French book. I love her. I think she's great. Cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Good stuff. I um, Now, one of the things I want to make sure I mention is that, uh, uh, Eileen, you have a newsletter called Tidbits that readers can subscribe to. Uh, care to talk about uh, what you write about and why they should subscribe? Actually, I just started it. Nice. So, uh, <laughs> because um, I, I, I said, why do I need a newsletter? This is stupid. Nobody wants to read about what I'm doing. It's like people on Instagram would take pictures of their lunch. You know, I'm like, who cares? Really? <laughs> so, um, this is all you have to do with your life is take pictures of your lunch. Okay. But um, so I said, why am I doing a newsletter? But everyone keeps pestering me. You know, you have to do a newsletter. So. I figured I would start a newsletter. So um, I have all 12 subscribers right now. I'm all the way up there. I'm into the double digits. So that's wonderful. And none of them are related to me, which is also wonderful. <laughs> and I'm one. I, I subscribed last night. So I got, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got my, my book, the, the Crossing, as a result of that. So uh, um, my novella, yes. So and, and so just as a note to the listeners, if you subscribe, you get this novella called The Crossing. Do you want to share with them what that is? Because that's cool. I mean, it's not a, it's not like a five-page booklet or something like that. No, no. I, I don't exactly know how big it is. But um, it's it was going to be part of a novel. And that's, a, well, that's another story. But um, anyway, it's the story of this young family who's making the journey from Ireland to America in the late 1800s and along the way they have a child so um it's uh, and i th- i think i got a little too much into the the nitty gritties of the journey but we'll see very cool well it's it's an entire novella and it's uh, i think it's about 140 150 pages something like that so uh yeah, that was originally going to be the beginning of a novel, like I said. And that novel, which I wrote completely, um, that was the beginning. And then then it, it, it was a time gap, and it picked up where, <clears throat> excuse me, the child who was born on the ship 
is now an adult. Um, gotcha. And so I wrote the whole book, and that has become the Campbell Sisters, which is now set in the 1950s. So it went from the early 1900s to the 1950s, and I scrapped the whole first book and rewrote it all. That's cool to hear how your thought process is happening there. That's neat. Um, so that's it the one that's... It seems like I, I'm always writing these books twice. You know, do it <laughs> once and then throw it away and do it again. Nice. <laughs> so that, now that's the one that's going to be coming out uh, yes, next year? Yes, that's the one that's coming out in March. Excellent. Uh, cool, very cool. Uh, so... Uh, uh, so it totally blew, blew that thing out of the water when I was asking about uh, the subscribing and all that stuff. <laughs> brand, brand new. So that's good. Um, the, uh, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is uh, on your, on your website, it talks about how you, and I read it in your bio, you belong to the author's guild. Do you want to share what, uh, um, what uh, that's all about and uh, um, why this, someone might consider looking into that? Sure. The Authors Guild, as far as I know, um, and this changed changed a little bit. I had to wait to join the Authors Guild because at first they only accepted published authors. And you had to be traditionally published, not self-published. So when I first looked into it, and it's a it's group of thousands of authors all over the world, um, it, it has... <laughs> The biggest names, you know, the best-seller authors, they all seem to belong to the Authors Guild. One agent told me, oh, don't, don't join them. That's a terrible group. And I was like, oh, okay. But um, I joined anyway. But <laughs> You listened well. Huh? <laughs> I listened real well. I always have. Um, but, it, it, you know, it, it's a group that really, um, that really advocates for authors. They advocate in Congress. They advocate with publishers. They are really behind authors more than just behind the, the business of writing. They have webinars all the time, which I try to attend whenever I can. Um, of course, they have galas and all that kind of stuff, but those are way out of my price range. You, know, you have to be a best-selling author to go to those things. <laughs> um, but it, I found them to be very helpful, and the biggest, the main reason I joined them once I was once I was eligible. Now you don't have to be a published author to join, but you did when I joined. Um, the main reason I joined them was because they offer free legal advice to authors. So when you get a contract from an agent or a publisher, you can send it to them, and they will give you advice on what they think is good or bad about this contract. And what they what the points that they think you should negotiate. That's awesome. That's got that's got to be an incredible service right there. <laughs> that that is worth the money. <laughs> that yeah. in itself is worth the money for sure. That's cool. Thanks for talking about that. I, um, Eileen, it's it's been awesome talking with you today. And before we close, I just want to make sure that uh, um, if someone wanted to learn more, follow what you got going on, and uh, um, subscribe to your newsletter and all that, where do you want to send them? EJDonovan.com. Excellent. And I will have that in my show notes um, where it'll be easy to find, uh, especially on mobile because they just pull it right up and it's linked right there in that, uh, in that link. And so that'll be good stuff. So Eileen, before we go, I got two last questions and they're just questions I like to ask my guests. And the first one goes like this. How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? I guess I keep going because I have a story I want to tell and it's driving me crazy until I get it out. 
It's, it's something I think about all day long, or no, ma- no matter what I'm doing. I'm in the supermarket, and I'm like, that's what she should be doing. That's what he should be doing. And, and you know, I'm scribbling things on pieces of paper all over the place. And I come home, and I've got all, I've got all these pieces of paper all over my desk. So, um, yeah, there, there is no... There's no like, oh, I have to get back to writing that. It, 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 it just never, it never leaves you until you're done. That's awesome. I love it. The, uh, yeah, last question. Uh, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given a chance to say thank you? Sounds crazy, but my fourth grade teacher, Miss Vaughn, she, um, I guess I, I guess she knew that I would. Well, I started reading when I was three, so I was always reading something. And uh, even when I was in school, I was reading something that usually was way above grade level. And, and so she realized it, and she gave me a copy of *Midsummer's Night's Dream*, a Shakespearean play, and said, "I would like. I think you would enjoy this." And I took it home and I read it. And granted, you're in fourth grade, you know. So what are you ten? nine, 10, somewhere around there. And I came back a few days later and she said, did you enjoy it? I said, I didn't understand all of it, but I did enjoy it. I really liked it. And um, she was like, wonderful. So we talked about the play for a while. And and, um, and that, that convinced me Shakespeare was absolutely the best writer in the world. And I just had to read more of Shakespeare. So um, I made it a point to, I think I've read every play at least once. And, and a lot of the sonnets and I have his complete works here in, in one of my bookcases. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think she's, she's the one who, uh, she's the one I remember most of all. So I, I think she introduced me to fine literature, let's say. And, and I for, am forever thankful to her for that. Very cool. That is awesome. Eileen, it was awesome talking with you today. Thanks for sharing a lady newspaperman's dilemma. Excellent story. Great read. Wishing you the very best in all you do. Thank you so much for inviting me. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.